name's Kit Wagner. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, if you are a guest with us, we are so thankful that you joined with us for worship this morning. Uh, if I could encourage you on your way out, if you would stop at our guest table or the welcome table and get a free gift from us, we'd love to give that to you. And just have somebody say hi to you. I'd love for you to come and find me after service. too, and I'd, I'd love to get to know you a little bit. Uh, with that being said, I want to tell you, and just kind of upfront tell you, today is going to be a little bit different of a sermon. Uh, you, you know, I've... I was thinking about how over the last couple of years, we all have just experienced, like gone through something that the world hasn't gone through for a long time, and it doesn't seem to be letting up. It seems to continue to just get more traumatic and crazier in the world. And so um, this morning, I, I'm going to be preaching over a topic that may kind of ignite some emotions in you. It may, uh, it may make you want to cry at, at points. It may, make you, um, it may bring up memories that uh, just make you sad. And, and what I want to do today, normally we kind of bring the lights up so you can look in your Bibles and follow along with me. But today we're going to leave the lights as they are uh, because I want you to feel comfortable that if, if you need to let a tear roll down your cheek, that you can let a tear roll down your cheek. Um, because the world is hard, and, and a lot of times we're told to hold that stuff in, but man, there's nothing, nothing as good as a good cry, right? So I wanted to just give you the permission and ability to cry if you need to, um, because what we're talking about is death. Uh, it's a real fun opener, isn't it? Like, woohoo, thanks, Kent, that sounds really fun. I'm glad I'm here today. Uh, I, 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 I was thinking about the first time that I really experienced death of somebody who was close to me. Um, it was my grandma Crockett, and uh, man, I can remember being at her house, and she washed her hands a million times. Uh, every time she touched something, she washed her hands. She was always serving everybody else. Um, I can remember she, I remember this time when she ate these uh, Bing cherries and said, Bing cherries, give me gas. And, it was, and I was like, oh my gosh, grandma, that's disgusting, right? Like, I have all this, like, conglomeration of all these memories of my, my grandma Crockett, um, and the, this, this memory that sticks out to me the most, it started on a particular evening where uh, my grandma was laying in bed with my granddad, and uh, I think they were talking, and, and she didn't respond to him. And he said, Ernestine? And she, he had kind of a gruff voice, so it was probably more like, Ernestine? And she, she didn't respond to him, Ernestine! And he, he said, he told me later that he kind of rubbed her chest real hard and was yelling for her to wake up, but she wouldn't wake up, and uh, she was still breathing. So he called the ambulance, not knowing what was going on, and ambulance came. We live in kind of a smaller town, uh, and so they took her to the smaller town's hospital, but you know how, like, you get transferred to UK if it's a big deal? They transferred her to Wichita, Kansas, which was four hours away, and so they put her on an ambulance, take her by ambulance all the way there, and um, by the time I get to Wichita, all the rest of my family's there, and they, the nurse and doctor have come and talked to them, and they told them that she had a brain aneurysm, a blood vessel in her brain exploded. And uh, it had put pressure on her brain, and there was a strong likelihood that she was not coming back from this. Now, you walk into that room as just a normal person, and you just get to be one of the people, but I was a pastor at the time. I was in my early 20s, but I was a pastor and so when I walked into the room, it wasn't just Kent walked into the room. It was everybody turned to me like, you're the pastor. What do we do? And so I, I was the one who was like sitting at the head of her bed, holding her hand, talking to her, whispering into her ears and praying over her and reading scripture. 
And like I had sat in that room a million times as just this pastor who is observing the family go through this, but I had never been the guy going through it. And and I watched as I knew what was going to happen because I had been there. I'd been in the room several times, and I knew the things that would happen and the steps that would go that would go through her breathing would get more and more shallow. And can I just tell you this? I have only seen a couple times where somebody has died and it's been like a Hollywood death where they just go, and then it's done. It typically is the most traumatic thing you will ever witness in your life, in my experience. And so I watch as my grandma goes through the most traumatic thing I have ever seen in my life. She, she takes this breath. <gasps> pin drop in the room we all start weeping and crying over her and everybody starts saying goodbye to her and how we love her and I am sitting by the head of her bed holding her hand as she's breathing those last terrible breaths and every time they take the breath in you're just wondering if it's ever going to come back out and there was this point where a breath didn't come back out it was just a and my, I'll never forget this. It, it haunted me for like years. My grandmother's eyes, I now know that her muscles had just relaxed. But at the time, I thought she was looking at me because her eyes just slowly opened. She looked into my eyes and I just was saying, Grandma, I love you so much. I'm going to miss you so much. Grandma, I love you so much. I, uh, I'm a pastor. So they had me preach part of her funeral. I didn't do the whole thing. I couldn't do the whole thing. I was like, I can't do this. But it was all just kind of this whirlwind. And one of the crazy things about this life, some of you know this very well, is that there's these periods of time that you go into in your life. The first period is this, this terrible time where you start to lose grandparents. And there will be a season of your life where you will lose grandparents. And then it will ease up, hopefully, for you. And then there will be a season of life where you lose parents. And then eventually you are the grandparents and the parents. And so I had entered into, not knowing about it really, the season of life where you begin to lose grandparents. And uh, a few years later, I was much more aware for this one because I had gone through it once and I kind of knew, like now I didn't just know what it was like to know what was coming, I knew what was coming for me personally. My grandpa Wagner, um, golly, he was such a sweet man. Uh, He would come up to... (laughs) come up to me. I wish everybody had had a grandpa like him. He'd come up to me and put his arm around me and he would just whisper in my ear, I love you. Just uh, over and over. I, I try to do this with my kids. I'll say, I love you like crazy glue to them. I said it a lot more when they were younger. I need to start saying it again. But I did that because of my grandpa. He, he would say, I love you to me all the time. And he'd just put his arm around you. And so my grandpa, he is in the ambulance now. And he's in the hospital. And he's breathing his last breaths. And we're in and out of the room. And it's terrible. And the doctors and nurses. And there's beeping machines and all that kind of stuff. And then it was crazy. We're all just weeping and crying. And the doctors were, you know, people are in there one at a time, that kind of thing. The doctors come out and they say, we don't know what's going on, but he's, he's breathing somewhat normally again. And so we keep going in the room and he, all of a sudden his breathing gets pretty normal and then his heart rate gets pretty normal and then his blood pressure gets pretty normal and pretty soon he's awake and he's talking to us and literally within a day after us, like we had all been in the room saying, Grandpa, we love you, we're so sorry, we're gonna miss you, we love you. We, see, uh, we're just, within a day of that, they're sending him home because they didn't know what to do with him. And they sent him home. And uh, 
I will never forget, I really think that happened just for this moment. I'm sitting in the kitchen with my grandpa. We're sitting at the counter table eating sandwiches together. And I'm, I'm like sitting here thinking, you were dead yesterday. And I'm eating a sandwich with you now. And I'm sitting there, and the whole time that he had been dying, I thought, I wish I could have told him how great of a grandpa he was. And so... <laughs> I'll never forget, he, he would put paste picante sauce on his sandwiches, which I think is disgusting, but he would, he would do that, and he would, every day, he'd eat a sandwich like that, and so he's eating that sandwich, there's a little paste picante on his face, and because uh, he was a sloppy eater, and, and I, I'm sitting there, and I looked him in the eyes, and I just said, Grandpa, I just want you to know how much I love you, and how great of a grandpa you are. I'm so thankful that you're my grandpa. And literally a few days later, the whole thing started over. Ambulance comes. He's in the hospital. And I show up at the hospital just in time to see my grandma holding his big mammoth hand saying, Louie, I just love you so much. I don't know what I'm going to do without you, Louie. I love you so much. And I watched my grandpa breathe his last. I... Um, I, uh, I wasn't so aware the first time with my grandma Crockett, but with my grandpa, I was much more aware of what people were saying to me. I, I don't really remember. It was just a blur. My grandma was just a blur. It, it messed me up. It was hard. But with him, I was really aware. And what I was aware of is that people say super dumb things when other people die. Have you noticed this? They say real dumb stuff. Now, if I can just real quickly, this is a freebie for you. If somebody dies and you don't know what to say, I think they say the dumb stuff because they don't know what else to say. So if you don't know what to say and somebody's died, this is a freebie for you. You can write it down. It's all yours. Just say, I'm so sorry for your loss. That's all. The people don't need you to say anything. They need you to be there. But people say really dumb, bad things when people die. And so I can remember those things coming out of people's mouths about my grandpa, and I just, oh man, I just wanted to go after him. And so as we jump into the sermon series about bad things that good Christians believe, I need to just real quickly, before I get into the, the, today's bad thing, I need to tell you that, uh, that these things may be things that you've actually said. And these things may be things that you even kind of believe or you grew up believing or somebody told you and you thought that's how it was because somebody said it. And what I want to do is I would like to ask you for just a moment to just put the brakes on all that and give yourself the opportunity to really think it through and decide, is that really how it is? Because the problem for a lot of us is whatever the reality is that we believe about God is how we will come to God, how we'll see God, how we'll experience God. And if you believe a warped reality of who God actually is, you will have a warped experience and a warped version of God. And I have known over time so many people who've had this warped version of who God is because they had these bad things told them that they believed and they bought into and it affected everything. It gave them this filter to see God through. Actually, that's why Anthony did that first song, and we're going to do it each week. It, it's Heretic is the song, and it talks about, he said, in the song, he says, offend my mind. Take the things that I've always held as these deep, deeply held beliefs, and if they're wrong, offend me so I can know you more. Because I don't want to hold on to bad beliefs and have this bad system of ideology of thinking about God. Make sense to you? Everybody good with that? So back to the sermon. 
Here we go. Here was what people said to me that was so bad, in my opinion. Here's what they said. They said this. God must have needed him more than we did. You ever heard somebody say that to you? God, God, your your wife ties and somebody comes up to you. Well, God just surely must have needed her more than you did. (laughs) What? (laughs) Right? Like, that's what I wanted to say because this is one of those bad things that good Christians believe. I, I... I wanted to say, are you kidding me? God, God of the universe, needed my grandpa, Grandpa Wagner. There was some big project Grandpa Wagner needed to do up in heaven that God of the universe couldn't accomplish by himself. That's what you're telling me. God needed him more than Kent needed a grandpa who could put his arm around him and say, son, I really love you. That's what you're telling me? See, I I want you to hear that there is a problem in this statement. I get that for some of you, you're going, but Kent, that has been a really deeply held thing for me. It has really helped me through some tough times. But there is a problem with this statement. See, this statement assumes a God who does terrible things to those he claims to love. Did you hear me? This statement that God, God needed them more than you did, and so he took them from you. What underlies it is that there is this God out there who does these terrible things to people that he claims to love. And I know for you, it may be a deeply held belief. It may be something that you've heard your whole life. People said it to you. It made you you feel better to know that that God took them and God needed them. But I want you to even underline those words like that God took them. It, It betrays this idea that God is the one who does painful things in your life. This is the very reason why I have people who come into my office and they'll say, I don't know why God did this to me. You ever thought about that? You ever had that feeling like you're going through something really bad and you're, you're over there going, God, what did we do to deserve this bad thing? Why did you do this bad thing to me? And what I'm saying to you is that is a really bad way of thinking about God. See, I need you to see that this idea, what it does is it actually paints God is a great goblin in the sky who precociously is snatching people from life to death just because he wants to. (laughs) Well, I need them more than you do. So Nana, Nana, Boo Boo, I'm going to take them. Sorry, sucker. (laughs) I'm God. What are you going to do? Actually, what what I want to show you is I want to take you to scripture. Um, This comes from James, who is the brother of Jesus. Jesus, if you don't know, if you're new to church or coming back to church, Jesus, what, what... Christianity holds is that he is God incarnate. Incarnate, that word means just in the flesh. Like the idea is that God looked at all humanity and the struggle that we were in and he came to the earth himself to fix it and restore it. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a moment, but that's the idea. James grows up in the family with God in the flesh as his older brother. Can, can you even imagine having that guy for your older brother, right? Like, you, you would never match up to it. You'd ne- but I want you to hear how James perceives God. Listen to what he says about God. James 1, 16 through 18. This is the guy who lived with God in the flesh. Don't be deceived. He, right at the very beginning, is telling you, don't let yourself be fooled or lied to about who this God is and what he does. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from where? It's from where? Above. Every good and perfect gift? It's from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give birth. 
He, he, see, what God is doing in your life and in, in our world is he is trying to give birth. He is trying to bring new life into this world. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. God has taken you and he has changed you and he has used the word of truth to birth out something new in you so that you can be the first fruits of this entire crop of what he's trying to do. This is a powerful idea that God is the one who brings good things. God is good and God is the giver of good. If you have something that is perfect, if you have something that's good, that is something that comes from God. He is not the one who brings evil and tyranny and terrible into lives. Now, some of you are sharp enough that you're out there going, but Kent, you have read the Old Testament, haven't you? (laughs) Right? Anybody thinking that right now? I can't see your hands, but you're like, I can't. You've never read the Old Testament. What's wrong with you, pal? Let me just take you for a moment because it is true that in the Old Testament, God is almost constantly going, hey, guys, stop messing up. If you don't mess up, I'm going to let these people come over and let them do some, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to even ask them to do things to, to remind you that you have walked away from me and that you've fallen away from me, right? So there is, in the Old Testament, there is this implicit idea that God is causing things to happen in people's lives to try to draw them back to him. And this is where I think Christianity has adopted that motif into our faith. But guess what? There is a reason we call it the Old Testament. It's not your testament. Do you know what the word testament means? I've talked about this before. Testament means covenant. See, the, the Old Covenant was this covenant. That was, it was like this. The Old Covenant of the Old Testament was this. It was, if you do... X, Y, and Z. If you keep the Sabbath, if you don't lie, if you don't kill your neighbor, if you, if you don't steal people's oxen, if you, if you don't take advantage of the poor, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, and blah, 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 and all these different things, then God's promise was this. That a covenant, I'm not going to go real deeply into this, but it just means a contract, okay? So this is a contract that they've made with God, the people, this people have made with God. And the contract was, if they would do these things, then God will do these things. I will bless you. I will, I will bring it into the thousandth generation. I'll, I'll, I will continue to bless you, and I'll continue to do all these things. But the covenant also had this, that if you don't do these things, then I will do these things. See, they lived in this contract with God, and that is why God is sometimes... But even if you read it really closely, even in the midst of those times where God is saying, okay, you have done these things, You have run away from me. You've kept running to do different things. You haven't done the good that I've asked you to do. You know what God is constantly begging for them to do? He says, if you would just turn to me, I would relent. If you would come back to me, even in the middle of this covenantal relationship that God had with his people Israel, he still, you can still hear him being the good God, calling them to him. If you would just come back, I wouldn't have to make good on our contract. See, here's the deal. The covenant that you and I live in, this is what we call the New Testament or the New Covenant. You can study the Old Covenant if you want to learn about what you don't have to go through because now you live under this New Covenant and the New Covenant of the New Testament is this. It is, I did. God is saying to you, I did so that you can. He did. He came. He put himself through it. He did everything right. He perfectly lived through this life. He went through death. He he went through the resurrection to come so that he could give you life. And, and, And so 
God, in this scenario, is the one who has taken all the risk. He has looked at you and I, and he's seen how risky we really are, and he takes all the risk. It is actually why I believe I have placed my faith, it's one of the reasons I've placed my faith in Christianity over any other religion, because every other religion in the entire world still is under that old kind of paradigm that you have to do every single thing right. I think of it like having to walk on a tight ri- wire, tightrope. They're, they're walking on this wire, trying to get to God, and you can't drink, and, and you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't sleep around, you, 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 can't, you, can't, you can't steal from somebody, you can't lie, you better not lie, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie! And they fall off the wire trying to walk to God. And they have to pray so many times facing a direction. And they, they, have to, they have to never produce evil or bad or wickedness in the world or bring pain into somebody's life. There are a million different things. And, and their hope is, is that they can walk that tight rope so perfectly that they can maybe, just maybe, get to nirvana. Maybe, just maybe, get to paradise. Maybe, just maybe, become a more perfect person. But in Christianity, the story is completely opposite of that. The story of that is that God walks the tightrope to us. And he comes to us and he says, get on my back. Get on my back. It's such a different way of thinking about it. It is that God comes to us. He gives thousands of years for the Jewish people to realize they cannot do it on their own. They cannot succeed at this. So that when he comes at that perfect moment, he can say, get on my back. I will walk you across. So let me ask this question. If that's the case... And his offer, and his commandment, the one thing that he asks of us is just love. Like that's all, when we get on his back, what he said was, he said, my commandment is this, that you would love one another as I have loved you. It's what he gave us, it's what he wants to walk in is love. If that's the case, that that's what Christians are supposed to be under, can I ask you this, why do good Christians say such bad things? Like that God must have needed them, so he took them from you. That creates this sense that God does these bad things, even to people who live under his new covenant. I think, I think it's because most people say things like this, because we think if someone's death was not purposed, if it was not purposed, then death really is as terrible as it seems. What I mean by that is if, if somebody dies and it's just purposeless it was just because they were old age or it's just because there was this terrible circumstance that happened or it's just because there is sin in the world and somebody was evil and did something they shouldn't have done if it's just senseless well then all we're left with is that it's terrible can I tell you something death is as terrible as it seems It is. Stop trying to escape the pain of it, Christian. Stop trying to minimize it in other people's lives. If somebody is weeping because they've lost a loved one, weep with them. Don't try to push them out of that pain because it is terrible. It is terrible. It is, uh, it is okay for you to grieve the loss of a loved one. Can I just give you permission, Christian? It's okay to grieve the loss of a loved one. Uh, I remember thinking when my grandpa died, how, how is it that death feels like the most unnatural thing if it's natural for us all to die? 
By this point, my grandpa has died. My grandma died earlier, right? And my, my grandpa dies. And now I'm going, okay, God, I just don't get it because I know death is natural. Every one of us dies. It, we all know it's coming for us. And yet for me, it felt like the most unnatural of all things. Does it not feel that way? Like it shouldn't happen? You know how I know it feels unnatural for you? Here's how I know it feels unnatural for you. How many of you have ever done this? You have gotten in a giant metal can, filled the metal can with explosive gas, and then hurtled yourself at like 75 miles an hour near and towards other people who were hurtling themselves in giant things like cans with gas in it, going 70 miles an hour towards you. Has anybody ever done that? We are the dumbest people ever. Can I get an amen, right? Because if you really believed you were going to die, if you really believed it in your heart of hearts, you wouldn't even leave the house, right? Because you could be walking down the street and somebody sideswipes you. You, you you. You could eat too many burritos and your heart could stop. You, there's a million different things and none of us would do any of those things that would put us at risk if we really believed we were going to die. It is an unnatural thing is how it feels. And yet when it happens, we all know that it's supposed to be natural. We know it's the way, the created order. It's how it's supposed to be. So why does it feel so unnatural when somebody dies? Why do we all have the sense that it's not who I am supposed to be? I'm not going to die. What pers- How many of you when you, you were kids didn't really believe you would die? Right? Most of us. Unless you had somebody die who was close to you, you didn't believe it for yourself. So I did what I try to always do. I went to the scripture because there is a way of knowing things. You do know in our world, you can know things. You can know truth. And because God has given us, he's displayed his truth, you have to search it out. You have to be like willing to study and learn. And so I went to the word of God and I started studying and looking and I went to Jesus's life. (laughs) The problem with Jesus is he most of the time resurrects people. Like, so I was like, well, that doesn't help me a lot. He doesn't do that with John the Baptist though. So study that story, learn about what, what he does in that moment. But then I started looking at death throughout the scripture and I started working my way back and then it finally hit me. Death was not the creator's intention. It is not natural for you to die. Did you know that? That's not how the creator created us. What he created us to be was his stewards of, of, of all of his creation, all of the animals and all of the plants and all of the fish and the birds, that we would be the ones who would go and subdue and rule over them and we would bring the earth into order and bring it into this beautiful garden, just kind of like the Garden of Eden. That was to be the job of humanity. And God had given us all of the fruits, all of the trees that had seed-bearing seeds in them. He had said, you can eat from all of them except for one. It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But do you know what it means if he said they could eat from all the other trees there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil but there was also this other tree that was called the tree of life it is referenced in the book of revelation you can go look this up the tree of life and you'll find that in in the end we get access again to the tree of life now i don't know if it's actually a physical tree or if it's some manifestation of jesus and his life in us working through us but what i know is that adam and eve had the ability to eat from this tree of life and in that tree They could eat the fruit of it and have eternal life from it because we were not created to die. The reason you feel like it is unnatural for you to die is because that's how you were created. To not have death as a part of your regime, as a part of who you are and what happens in your body. 
As a matter of fact, what God said about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is he said if they ate from it, they would surely die. That death would come in on the back of them walking through that sinful act, of them walking away from God and choosing their own route, their own way through this world, apart from the way of God. Listen to what happened. This is the curse that God has to pronounce upon them in that moment as they eat from the fruit. He says this, Genesis 3.19, By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. From now on, you're going to have to work hard in order to put food into your belly. He says, until you will work hard to put that food in your belly until you return to the ground. And then he says, since from it you were taken, for, you, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. In this moment where Adam and Eve bring sin into the world, I, I think it's, I can't prove that this is how God did it, but I almost feel like he turned on the genetic piece of us that allows us to age and allows us to die, and he removes the ability for them to eat, for them to eat from the true tree of, of, tree of life. They're removed from that ability, it's taken away from them, and death enters into the world, and every one of us has suffered the consequences of that death because of, because of Adam and Eve. Actually, I believe this. Now, this, hold with me for just a moment because this is going to seem strange at first until I explain it. So don't judge the statement until I explain it all, okay? But I actually believe, actually I believe that God gave death as a type of mercy. Because as humans embraced evil, because we became aware of what good and evil was, and not only what it was, but how we could leverage it to our own ends. You all have worked for somebody who has leveraged evil for their own end. Amen? <laughs> right? So, because as humans embraced evil, God needed a way to limit the damage we could do with that evil. And I believe that death was a means by which to ensure that evil men and women would not endure forever. God needed a way to stop evil men and women from enduring forever. Can, can I just, for a moment, take you to a guy during World War II whose name was Adolf? Remember that guy? Imagine if he could have endured forever. Imagine if the slave traders could have endured forever. Imagine if Genghis Khan could have endured forever. Why? What would we do in a world full of wicked people who are evil to the utmost, who can endure forever? And so what does God do? He introduces death as this means, the stasis that he can bring into the order to stop evil from just producing and reproducing and taking over the entire world and reigning over the entire world for all of eternity. God puts it in order to stop. And he brings it, I believe, as a type of mercy, although it must affect all of us for, for, to affect some. Because all of us are evil and wicked apart from God. We all choose to go our own way. So what does God do? <laughs> what do you do if you have created this thing that you love deeply? You, your intention was to Work in unison with it to have it be your steward, your caretaker for you and for you to love it. And he would walk through the garden with Adam and Eve and love them and care for them. And then they break that trust and they they destroy it and they continue to choose evil and wickedness. What do you do? Well, God looks at them and he, he eventually calls Israel by name and brings this whole nation under him. And he does this test with them. What if I tell you how to be good? 
You have put yourself under good and evil. So what if I tell you what good looks like? So here's the law. And he gives them the law. And he says, here's all the things that you must do to be considered righteous and good. And so they're giving it to him. And, it, and instead of it being free, and I think God knew this. I think he wanted humans to understand it. Because we're the kind of people who need to experience things to get it, right? And so he allows them for generations to try to maintain themselves under law. Try to be good. And guess what? They can't do it. Some of you know what this is like if you've ever been on a diet and somebody puts an Oreo in front of you. (laughs) You can only resist the Oreo for so long, right? Eventually, Adam and Eve come out of you and you snag that fruit of deception and death and you eat it. It is the same thing just multiplied to the nth degree. Humans continue to choose their own way. And we continue to die. And God waits for the exact right moment to come where he himself We'll, we'll be sitting up in heaven watching, giving us all the opportunities in the world. And finally, he steps. He puts himself into the flesh of a little baby who will be cared by a young woman and her new husband. And he will be raised and he will be tempted with every single thing that you've ever been tempted with. He will go through all of that. He knows what it's like to be human, but he will resist it. And then... He will love people. He will draw in those who are on the outside that nobody else ever thought could be on the inside. And he will draw them in. And he will be whimsical. And he'll be the kind of person that you just, you just are drawn to and you want to be around him. So much so that when he says things like, you know the Son of Man must, must die, you'll, you'll go, <laughs> you got this all wrong. You got it all wrong. I don't, is that a parable? Are you trying to teach us something? And then he'll make good on that. He himself, who doesn't need to die because he has walked the line of staying good the whole time. He never falls for the sin. He never bites on the fruit. He stays good the whole time and righteous the whole time because he's God in the flesh. He resists to the end. He himself will submit himself to death. And God, listen to this, God goes through death himself so that he could set us free from the shackles of death. He goes through it himself. He dies, he is in a grave. If you don't know the story of Jesus, he dies and is in a grave for three days and then he flexes his muscles and shows that he really was God in flesh. He was not just a good teacher. He was not just a good moralist. He was not just somebody that you wanted to be friends with who was a nice doctor. He was God himself because he flexes his muscles and he raises from the dead and life enters back into his body and he is the resurrection and he is the life. So much so that, listen, before he's, he is going to, he's getting close to that point in his own life and he is talking to this woman named Martha whose brother has just died, Lazarus. And she, I, I don't know if she was beating on his chest, but I like to picture her beating on Jesus' chest saying, if you had just been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says these words to Martha in this moment. He is, he is looking forward to this moment where he himself will become the resurrection and the life. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He is the one who overcomes all of death. And then he says this, the one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I think he's still asking you. Do you believe this? 
He's the resurrection. He is the life. What, he, what he's saying is that for those who love Jesus, physical death is still as terrible as it seems because, well, we lose the loved one's presence. I, I don't still have my grandpa putting his arm around me saying, I love you, son. But we know we've not lost the loved one. Why? Because he is the resurrection and the life. A Christian, listen to this. According to Jesus' words, and I will believe anybody who predicts his own death and his own resurrection and then makes good on it. I will believe anything they say. And so according to what Jesus' words that I just read to you, a Christian never really dies. They only translate to the next life. So here's the problem. Fast forward several years from my grandma dying, my grandpa dying, my dad dies. And you guys know that was, because uh, it comes up in my sermons, you guys are like my own personal therapist, all right? I'm not going to pay you for it, but uh, <laughs> you are my therapist because I get to come up here and just blather about stuff, and, and you listen to me. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so I, my dad's death was traumatic for me, and it comes up a lot in my sermons because of that. And uh, I remember I was still a pastor at the time, and I knew I was supposed to say, well... <clears throat> It's okay because he's with Jesus now. I didn't want to say that. Nothing inside of me wanted to say that. I was just so grieved and overwhelmed by how terrible it all was. How unnatural it all was. And I was so broken by it. And I would kind of fake it for people and be like, oh yeah, he's in heaven now. And I don't know, I honest, honestly, I'm just being really honest with you. I don't know how much I believed it or not at the time. His death forced me into this crux where I had to really deal with my faith. But I started, somebody suggested this book to me. It's called The Room of Marvels. So like, like Marvel superhero characters, but it's not about that at all. A lot, I don't enunciate very well, so people think marbles? Like marbles? No, marvels. Room of Marvels. So if you've grieved somebody, this is a great book. Uh, and I'm, I'm reading it. In the, in the book, this guy, he, he dreams that he goes to heaven. He has this vision that he goes to heaven and he's seen all these loved ones that he's lost. The, the real person who's writing it had lost like a tremendous amount of, like his daughter, I think his mother, his grandma, friends. All, he'd had all this loss all in one year. And so he's just writing, imagining, what, what if, I had gone, if I could go to heaven and talk to him? And he's having these conversations with him and he's having this conversation with one of the guys and he's telling him about how when his friend died, how traumatic and hard it was for him and how much he misses him. And he says, when you died, and his friend stops him and goes, what? When I died? And he says, yeah, you, you're dead. And he says, I'm, I'm not dead. I'm more alive than I've ever been. And I read that and I had to put the book down because I've been so engrossed with the death of my father that I'd never really let it hit me. Never really let it hit me that it's okay to grieve. But grief, grief does not have to be absent of joy. I thought it was one or the other. You either grieve somebody's loss or you, you have this, I always thought everybody was fake who were like, well, they're in heaven now. I just so excited. I can't wait to see him someday. I was like, you are such a fake. <laughs> That's how I always thought. Because I just, the grief was overwhelming for me. And it hit me that as humans, it is okay to live with this thing is unnatural and it's not how God intended it. And I, I grieve every day that I lost my dad. I really, 
I never understood people saying that until I lost it. I grieve every day, but I also have this deep-seated joy that I know he is more alive than he's ever been. He really is. Listen, my hope today is for some of you, this sermon gave you some permission to grieve a little bit, to allow yourself to be sad. Like, if you need it, if I, I was thinking about it, I would, <laughs> I still, if I hear the Beach Boys, my dad loved the Beach Boys. My whole life growing up, we listened to the Beach Boys all the time. I would be walking through Walmart and the Beach Boys would come on, like, surfing USA, and I'd be like... <laughs> I just like break down like I have to go into the changing room or something because like tears just flooding my face because all these memories would flood of my dad and I used to hate it but now I love it because I'm reminded of him and how good of a man he was and I can't wait to see him and so if you if you if you have lost someone it's okay to have to also find joy in but can I speak to those of you who don't know Jesus Maybe you never realized the steps God took to bring you back. Maybe you got stuck a long time ago thinking he was the great goblin in the sky who just takes people and you didn't realize how really good he is and how all of humanity he has been like seeking to draw you back in and he wants you. I guarantee you, if you had been the only one, he still would have gone through the cross. He still would have put himself through all of that to bring you back. You know how I know? Because Jesus said, he said, there is this shepherd who had 99 sheep and just one was lost. And he went out to look for it to find it. He was saying that because he was saying, that's who I am. Go after the lost one. So if you're lost, if you don't have the assurance that Jesus has paid for your sin, he has paid for all your wrongdoing, he went through death to draw you back out of death, not just so you could go, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, and, and get baptized and just and go back to your old life, but so that you could become his disciple, you could become like his apprentice in life. Like, I want to learn how to be like that, Jesus. I want to learn how to live like you. And I, I, you come to him to, to be your all in all and to, to change every fiber of your being, to make it new and to breathe new life in you. If you've never done that, then why not today do it? I can't imagine finding out that there is a way to face death in this world and not have to be so terrified that it scares the hell out of you and not take that route. If you know that route exists, why wouldn't you turn your life to it and get on the path and follow it? So this morning, I want to pray for you. And I want, I'd ask, like to ask you all to bow your heads in prayer with me right now. And I want to ask if you are somebody who's gone, I've never really gotten on that path. I want to ask you to just, in your heart, you don't have to say the words out loud, just agree with my words. Let them become your words for your heart. And that you would, you would maybe for the first time, seek the God who is the giver of all good and perfect things. Pray with me. With everybody's head bowed and eyes closed. Jesus, I didn't know didn't know that you came from me. I didn't know that, that you really weren't the one causing all of the bad stuff in my life, but that you've been trying to bring good things into my life to bring me to you. I need you 
I need the hope. I need the life. I need your power, the resurrection power to course through my veins. I want to accept your life, Jesus, and your resurrection. I need you. Jesus, today I turn from my old way of life. I confess that I am a sinful person, that I have messed up so many times. I have so much dysfunction that's not even funny. And I ask you to just take all that and set me free. You guys, if you don't know, y'all, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. He can set you free today. Jesus, I am yours. I want to become your apprentice and your disciple. Help when I read your word for it to be opened up to me and me to see it. Invite your Holy Spirit to live in me. I want to follow you. If you prayed that prayer with me just now, I'd like everybody to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed if you would. If you prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand real quick so we can see we can be praying for you? Yeah, that's so awesome, man. Praise God for you. Praise God for you. Anybody else in here? Okay, yeah, I see. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Okay, you guys can keep your hands up. And if you prayed that prayer today, don't stop with just praying. Take the trail guidebook that's in front of you in the chair. Maybe start there. Come and talk to me or somebody on staff or one of your friends who's a Christian. Like, let somebody else know so they can be praying for you and walking through that with you and helping you to start really following them. I'd like to real quickly close with one last prayer. Is anybody in here just struggling with grief? Maybe you lost somebody recently. Yeah, okay. I'd like to pray over you guys real quick. You guys, let me close out in prayer for this. Father, I pray for those in here who've lost somebody. That the grief so hard to know what to do or nobody's trained for that nobody knows the right way to go through it so I just pray God that you would today give them a sense that you're with them that you know I love I'm sure John the Baptist didn't like that you didn't bring him back but I love that you you knew what it was like to lose you had a dad who died you had a cousin who died you knew what it was like to want to just get away and let everything else go so that you could just grieve and be with your friends and, and mourn. And I just pray for anybody in here who is struggling through that, God, that you would help them to find the way to embrace the grief in one hand, but to find a way to hold on to the joy in the other hand. And to know that you are the God who makes good on your promises. And you said that those who walk in the kingdom, when they mourn, they will be comforted. God, help us to mourn with those who mourn, grieve with those who grieve, to laugh with those who laugh, that we would be your hands and your feet wherever we're at and not feel like we have to pressure people out of where they're at. But to know our job is to just be with them. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for being so good to us. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Hey, if you need to talk to somebody, there'll be several of us up here. We'd love to talk to you. Just find out what God's doing in your life and be able to see if there's a way that we can help you. If you need a prayer during this next song, you can come up and pray up here. During the song, we sing about the resurrection power of Jesus. I want to invite you to go and partake of communion, take of offering, uh, give your offering, your tithes, but to spend time with Jesus. This is your time, whenever you guys are ready.